Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Patrick Jenkins. This week, we'll be looking at banks dropping their PPI appeal. Now, what the banks have been opposed to is tough regulatory changes from the FSA that overhaul the way they can sell the product. But crucially, these changes have applied retrospectively, which have opened the floodgates to millions of complaints from consumers who were missold something going back five years or longer. HSBC reports lower than expected profits. Investors are holding their breath slightly until Wednesday when we will get a much more detailed explanation of Stuart Gulliver's strategy when he hosts his first sort of investor day. And the Institute of International Finance is coming out today, Monday, with their views on global resolution of defunct banks. Each bank should figure out which of their business lines are critical to the rest of the world. Say for Royal Bank of Scotland, they're very critical in commercial lending. So they would have to be prepared to keep that going if the rest of it went down. Joining me in the studio to discuss these topics are Charlene Goff and Brooke Masters. Let's turn to our first topic for today, PPI, the payment protection insurance, which has caused quite a kerfuffle in the UK banking industry over the past few days. This follows a ruling in the courts a few weeks ago over the mis-selling of these products. Charlene, bring us up to date, first of all, with what PPI is and what the mis-selling was, and then what's changed over the past few days. PPI is a form of loan insurance that basically covers the repayments on mortgages, personal loans, credit cards when the borrower falls ill or loses their job. That was kind of the idea, and it's been a product that's been widely sold and widely missold for a number of years, way before this court case really started. Now, what the banks have been opposed to is tough regulatory changes from the FSA that overhaul the way they can sell the product. They have to make it a lot more transparent and fair. But crucially, these changes have applied retrospectively, which have opened the floodgates to millions of complaints from consumers who were missold something going back five years or longer. Do we have any idea what proportion of these policies were missold as opposed to being sold appropriately? The two big problems were that it was sold without people knowing and it was also sold to people who would never be able to claim. So self-employed people, people with existing medical conditions that wouldn't have qualified anyway and the banks didn't take that into account. Now, at this stage, it's quite difficult to quantify the final number of complaints The Ombudsman has had about 200,000 to date, but that's just a tiny fraction of the 16 million or so that have actually been sold. So we could see now a lot more consumers coming forward. Like you said, Lloyd's made the first provision last week of £3.2 billion, which was far higher than analysts had expected, and that would sort of indicate a total industry bill of about £8 billion. Barclays and HSBC have made their own provisions today,
say Barclays taking a billion pound hit, HSBC about a third of that, leaving only RBS not to come out with a figure. Now, we think very soon, perhaps within the next few hours, RBS will also try and quantify its own exposure, and that's likely to be another billion pounds, pretty much in line with Barclays. So it really puts Lloyds out there as definitely the worst hit British bank in, in the matter. And no one's going to be loving Antonio Osorio, I guess, at the moment, because he's the one who effectively bounced the whole industry in, into accepting this lying down rather than yeah. appealing it again in, in the courts. Except for consumers, I think this is a huge win for them. I mean, we thought the banks were going to continue their battle against these changes. The BBA was kind of gearing up for another appeal. Lloyd's last week really put an end to that and I think has broken ranks from the industry and caused a bit of a stir among its rivals who really weren't expecting to have to pay out quite so soon. Partly, I suppose, a result of Mr. Torosario being the new chief executive of Lloyd's coming in and, and wanting to draw a line under the past. But, Brooke, I was going to ask you about the FSA change of view on this. It's part of the whole FSA's new mindset, really, since the financial crisis, that they are just going to come down harder and try to stop consumer problems before they start. And by having this retrospective case, they make it clear to the industry that if you ignore sort of early guidance and keep going, even though, oh, the rules aren't completely clear, you can get hit from the back end. And so I think in some ways this was the FSA's warning shot that, you know, don't go missell something else because it's going to come back and bite you. Don't think you can take advantage of a loophole. So where do we go from here on PPI? Final word, Charlene. Well, I think it's up to consumers now to come forward. In some of the worst case scenarios, we could see the banks proactively target their customers and say, look, you know, you could be in line for a refund. But that's going to happen in only the, the sort of the few worst cases of mis-selling. Largely, it's up to the consumers to come forward, lodge their complaint with their bank. If the bank doesn't deal with it in a, appropriately, they can take it further to the ombudsman. One piece of advice for consumers is really there's no need to use these claims companies now. And these have been very active in trying to push consumers into complaining. But with the banks ready and willing and having to process the complaints, it's, it's better and, and cheaper for consumers to just go direct. Let's move on now to HSBC. As we mentioned there, they've taken somewhat of a charge for, on the PPI issue, but there's been a, a host of other charges, exceptional kind of one-offs that have brought down their level of profitability. And Charlene, the number at the bottom line is lower than a lot of analysts have been expecting. The shares have, have kind of fallen slightly early on this morning. And do you think the market is really giving Stuart Gulliver, the chief executive there, the benefit of the doubt that, you know, he he needs to be doing a cleanup exercise in the same way as uh, as Lloyd's is doing? I think that's pretty much exactly. It does seem to have been characterized by these one-off hits that you talked about. There was a, a big sort of $400 million one associated with mortgage loans in the US. To change in the foreclosure uh, kind exactly. of directions from authorities there that basically uh, banks aren't allowed to throw people out of their homes quite as readily as uh, <laughs> it's been the case in the past. Exactly. And and smaller charges with other sort of troubled operations that they're, they're looking to restructure. So I think while investors obviously don't want profits to come down, there's an explanation there and some of the underlying trends actually look okay. Costs um, sort of stripping out the one-off items were fairly flat. I mean, there's obviously work to do there. I think investors are sort of holding their breath slightly until Wednesday when we will get a much more detailed explanation of Stuart Gulliver's strategy when he hosts his first sort of investor day in two days' time. And that will be far more eye-opening, I think, of what he plans to do over the next few years. I mean, we've got a few hints as to what might be coming there. There was a Latin American charge in today's numbers, $68 million for a 
restructuring and, and job cuts, basically, in the Latin American operations. I think there's a great feeling there that the cost-income ratio in Latin America had got out of control and that there's a lot of trimming that needs to be done there. And I think that's something that we're going to see replicated around the world, particularly in the US as well. Suggestions that Mr. Gulliver might decide to sell off the credit card business there, refocus really on corporate banking in the US, maybe even at some point sell the retail banking network that they've got, which is very regionally focused around the New York State area, but not really appropriate for a global bank of HSBC's size. So as you say, I think there'll be a lot of focus on Wednesday's strategy day. And as well as sort of where he's going to cut and trim back, we also hope to get more of a flavour of where he's going to grow. I mean, he's been quite clear about the fact that he wants to sort of ramp up lending which um, could set alarm bells ringing but actually HSBC has a very low loan to deposit ratio which came down again in the first quarter and there's plenty of room there for the bank to extend that and I think on Wednesday we should get a bit more of a clear sense where he expects that to grow. I mean analysts believe that will be largely focused around Asia and the faster growing markets at the bank's core but we should get a bit more detail of that. Quite interesting on that point that they lent an, an extra nearly $40 billion in the f- first quarter of this year. But despite that, as you say, the loan to deposit ratio went down to under 80%. And if they go towards their 90% target, that would release something like another 130 odd billion dollars of lending. I asked him this morning on the conference call whether he was worried about the risk of that extra lending being targeted into Asia, particularly in the, the Hong Kong and China region, and whether there was a bubble there. And he adamantly refuted the idea of a bubble and that they haven't reduced their lending standards and they were very confident that they weren't going to be exposed there. So I think watch this space till Wednesday, certainly uh, when we get the full details of their plans going forward. Our final topic today is the IIF, that's the Institute of International Finance, coming out today with its position really on where we are in in terms of the global debate on resolution regimes and related matters. This is what you do with banks when they fail, how you clean them up and sort them out. You've had a look at the paper that they're putting out today, Brooke. What is your impression as to the overall tenor of their argument? It's less exciting than you would hope. Given that the IIF only a couple of months ago said that international resolution regimes and cross-border resolution was the single most important issue and that other things should wait until that is solved, it's a relatively straightforward status quo kind of paper. They have basically said that banks should be forced to prepare for keeping their critical business lines going. So each bank should figure out which of their business lines are critical to the rest of the world. Say for Royal Bank of Scotland, they're very critically in commercial lending. So they would have to be prepared to keep that going if the rest of it went down. Goldman Sachs is critical in lending to hedge funds through their prime brokerage. They would probably have to keep that going. But they said, we should not be forced to reorganize legally. We should not be forced to have subsidiaries. We should not be forced to reorganize our businesses. Everybody needs to understand it's very expensive to do all this, and you should keep that in mind. It it was a lot of special pleading. To an extent, this is exactly what you might expect. The IIF is the main, I suppose, association of global banks. They're pushing the bank's own agenda. Absolutely. These are the very biggest banks, too. This is really only the global investment and commercial banks. There's no voice for the regional banks at all. These are the cross-border banks. These are the ones who care, to be fair to them. Um, They also make make some interesting fairly detailed points about how bail-in, which is the process of making a bank's creditors share in the costs, ought to work. And they're arguing pretty strenuously that you have to, if you're going to force creditors as opposed to shareholders to take losses, you really should start with subordinated debt and really try to stick to that whenever possible because senior debt has always been protected and it'll be impossible for banks to get be able to sell bonds after this. 
there's some non-bank agreement with this, that it's very unsettling to the markets. Again, there's very little that is forward-looking and unusual. There is, however, a slap at the European Union, which has a proposal out right now for its bail-in regime that would say that authorities can discriminate between different types of creditors in order to keep the financial system going. And the um, IAF is very opposed to that. They, They want to make sure everybody gets treated equally if they're in the same class. Now, this is the IAF sticking its oar in, if you like, before regulators have their next series of meetings this year to finalise several of the remaining outstanding issues. As you say, resolution is, is one of them. Another big topic is how much extra capital uh, systemically important banks should have to hold in terms of capital. If they said anything about that at all? They haven't. Their previous statement three months ago basically said that all these surcharges shouldn't be necessary if we have a proper resolution regime. So it is interesting. They have built up resolution regime as their answer to the SIFIs. They say, oh, it's much more detailed than we've ever been. Well, that's true, but that's because what they used to say could be put on an index card. Well, very good. We'll, we'll see how, how that all pans out over the next few months. Sadly, that's all we have time for today. All that's left for me to do is to thank Charlene and Brooke here in the studio and to thank you for listening. Banking Weekly is produced by LJ Filatrani. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.